Welcome to Gritty Leaders Club. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Ian. Thank you, Ben. Happy New Year to you too. It's great to be back. You and I, we were reflecting between Christmas and New Year that we've covered a lot of ground on leadership and culture and values, kind of taking gritty leadership head on. And so one of the things we'll do during 2021 is we'll tackle strategy. Great. We'll do that with a series of episodes, not back to back. We'll give everyone a break from strategy in between episodes. Before we do that, as we always do, Ian, what's got your attention? Well, we talked between Christmas and New Year, as you said, Ben, we talked about books, didn't we, of 2020. And what happens, of course, over Christmas is you're given a load more books. And I was given three books, interestingly, and all very different. Um, I was given Gareth Southgate, Anything is Possible. (laughs) I was given Barack Obama, A Promised Land, which is a huge tome, which I've started to read, and it's very interesting. That's a big read, is it, that one? It's a big read. And then I've read most of David Attenborough, Life on Our Planet, My Witness Statement and A Vision for the Future. What an amazing guy he is at 94. That's what I'd like to talk about just a little bit, because it's something that I feel quite passionate about. I know you do. You've mentioned it before. And I think the learning for me, and I'll come to a bit about the book in a second, but the learning for me is um, what as leaders of businesses and as leaders in our community are we doing personally about climate change? Let me reflect on the book a little bit for you. He starts off, interestingly, in a place called Pripyat in the Ukraine. And in the 1970s, a brand new town was built. It had uh, 50,000 people in it. And it went about its business perfectly until the 26th of April, 86. And you probably know what happened on the 26th of April, 86. Reactor 4 of Chernobyl blew up. And radioactive material more than 400 times, more than Hiroshima and Nagasaki, washed across Europe. And I think we were lucky in the UK, the wind was blowing the other way at the time. But estimates are hundreds of thousands of people died uh, as it entered the food chain and, and so on and so forth. But One of the things he said about that is this is not the biggest environmental catastrophe of our time. The biggest environmental catastrophe of our time is we're sleepwalking into basically ruining the earth, the planet we live on. Part of the book really looks at uh, what's happened since 1937, where he started being a BBC broadcaster up until the present day and what he, he saw change around the world. One of the things that he talked about and and you'll know this, is 23rd of December 1968, when Apollo 8 went round the moon. It was the first time the world saw the Earth. And he said that was the first time he looked at the Earth and saw how fragile it was. A couple of facts he talks about. 1937, 2.3 billion people on the Earth. Now there are 7.8 billion people on the Earth. And he talks about the wilderness and biodiversity a lot, obviously. And and the remaining wilderness in 37 was 66% of the planet. And now it's 35% of the planet. Big, big changes. And then he gets into some of the frightening things. Um, In 90 years' time, if nothing happens, the planet will be four degrees warmer, which will mean 25% of the population will live in temperatures of over 29 degrees, which is the Sahara, if that's an average temperature which will mean mass migration of people, which will mean conflict because borders will struggle to cope with people. It'll be mass migration. But also in 90 years' time, if nothing changes, sea level will rise by almost a metre. So all the coastal towns and cities will be lost. Now, that's scary, really scary. Um, 
So what does he say we've got to do? Well, he lists a whole lot of things we've got to do. Reverse climate change, reduce greenhouse gases. 85% of the, the Earth's fuel is fossil fuel. 85%. We've only got 4% um, renewables, 7% hydropower. We've got to reverse that in 10 years' time. In 10 years' time. Frightening right. statistics. One of the biggest problems he talks about, of course, is vested interest. Six out of the world's largest 10 companies are in oil and gas, and three of those are state-owned. So we've got real challenges here. And, and so going back to what I said at the beginning, our listeners, I believe, and, and, and you and I, need to be sitting here saying, what can we do in our businesses to support this, to challenge each other? Because we are, as he said, we're sleepwalking into this. Yeah. And what proportion of the leaders you're working with are actively asking and exploring and hopefully answering that question, Ian? Well, some, like probably uh, the population, haven't grasped the severity of the problem. Mm. Others, if I'm honest, some are doing way more than others. And that's what struck me in reading the book is this isn't a nice to have. This is very, very serious. And um, we've all got to play a part. We've got to force politicians. I mean, you you talked about Greta Thunberg, didn't you? One of the books you'd read and good old Greta. She's she's one of those people who are doing the right thing. And we've all got to think very carefully about what we're doing because we're all responsible. Good young Greta, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's a, it's an important topic. Uh, for my part, I'm I'm looking at making my business a B corporation. And this year, I intend to go beyond being carbon neutral to being carbon negative. And we can raise the agenda, can't we? But on some things, I think it's important to be the change that we want to see in the world. Exactly. Somebody said that before you. Gandhi, I think it was. Was it Gandhi? Insightful chat. And for my part, what's caught my attention is family business. I work with quite a few family businesses. I'm always keen to read further, learn more, get more examples. And Harvard Business Review this month has an interesting article. And there's a fact in it, which I had to stop and read and reread. So let's see how you do on this, hmm. uh, Ian. Ian, what percentage of companies worldwide are family businesses? Ooh, 80%. What proportion of the workforce does that account for? Oh, very, very high. I'd probably say 90, 95% or something. Yeah, okay. Um, 85% of companies worldwide are family businesses, so you're pretty yes. close. <laughs> A uh, much greater proportion than I'd have guessed, and 62% ah, of the okay. worldwide workforce. Okay, big, big numbers. Huge numbers. Yeah, I've got that Harvard Business Review, so I'm, I'll, I'll read that ah, with That's why you were so close. No, on no I haven't read it. I haven't, I haven't opened it yet. Uh -huh. okay. <laughs> we all believe you, Ian. <laughs> all of us, every one of our audience believes you. <laughs> Let's get on to, to strategy. We're going to explore strategy, giant topic, really important. Uh, today's episode is called What is Strategy? So let's start there. Ian, what is strategy? Well, it's a really interesting question, Ben, one I've asked a lot. And when I was developing the program I currently run, and I thought, well, I need to do something on strategy because uh, it's important. So I went back to all my old books and I started looking at Porter and I started looking at Harvard Business Review and I started Googling it. 
and you get a huge number of hits on strategy if you Google it. And I started thinking, actually, people misuse the word. And we use the word in many different forms, don't we? We always talk in business about strategic initiatives and strategic priorities and strategic intent. And we, so we use it all the time. But I thought, let, let's go back to basics. Let's go back to basics and say, what is strategy? So I ask that question at the beginning of a session. I say to people, what is strategy? And most people write down, it's a plan. Well, it kind of is a plan. But before you get to the plan, you need to know why you're different. And so my place to start this whole thing is where Porter started, in a sense, in one of his seminal books, which was, it's your strategic competitive advantage. Hmm. Okay, well, I, I'd answer that question differently if you were to ask me, what is strategy? Write down my definition. I'd say something along the lines of, it's our choice of approach to achieve our, our goal or to achieve our objective. Yeah, I always go back to simplicity and say, if, you're, if you want to open a coffee shop on the high street, Let's take, uh, you know, Guildford. In Guildford, there is probably seven, eight, nine coffee shops. If you wanted to open another coffee shop, you need to do your thinking. You need to walk around the other coffee shops. You need to see what kind of coffee they do, where their price points are, what customers they have, what else they sell, and then think what you're going to do. And what was, what's that got to do with strategy? Well, it's got everything, because if you come in and you give the customer exactly what the others are already giving, the likelihood is you're going to fail. If you look at the best examples of organizations that have pursued a differentiated strategy, they make more profit, they have more sustainable businesses, and they are more successful. And if you look at, so if you look at the supermarket industry, which everyone does when they look at strategy, you could see that the ones that have won for a long time are companies like Waitrose or Whole Foods because they've got great uh, competitive advantage. They've chosen something quite different. If you look at this and you study it, you find that companies like Sainsbury's have always been a little bit stuck in the middle, which is what Porter would say if you're not trying to be particularly differentiated. So you can go, you can view this from your, your little coffee shop in the high street and how are you going to be different, whether it's going to be incredible brownies or different kinds of coffee or very different kind of customer service. See, this isn't where I would start. So I think you're telling me to start with competitors, look at my competitors, work out the points of difference. And I agree it's important who my competitors are, what are they doing, understanding my market how I will show up in that market and how I will be successful in that market. But I would start with the objective. And to explain what I mean here, I would call a shareholder meeting. Now, if I'm founding a business, I am the shareholder. So I'm going to call a meeting with myself, yeah. if you like. If I am running a business for, for somebody else, then I'm going to call those shareholders to the meeting. And my question will be, what do the shareholders want from this business? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the essential starting point. And if we use your Guildford coffee shop example, there's going to be a world of difference between the coffee aficionado 
who wants their own place and to brew good coffee and meet great people and contribute to the Guildford community. Mm. It's going to be a world of difference between that motive and, uh, let's say, graduates straight back from INSEAD Business School has decided they can take on Costa and Starbucks. They've got a wicked plan to, to do this, and they're setting out to create the next great big high street coffee brand. If we if, let's get away from the the coffee shop mm. uh, example, because let's just get away from it. <laughs> yeah, if if we think about the different types of ownership mm. uh, we've got, uh, and we ask different types of of shareholder, what do they want from the business? Well, yeah, if we've got a lot of private equity involved, quite often they're going to say grow the business, maximize the value, and achieve a sale sometime within the next five year horizon. Yeah, yeah. If we don't have uh, private equity investors or other significant investors with that sort of motive, we might still have the objective of maximise growth and maximise the value in the business. But equally, we might get an objective of cash flow, you know, generate mm-hmm. a good income with family business. We quite often hear, we're going to stay independent. We're going to be independent. Family's mm-hmm. going to retain control. We're going to keep the factory open. We're going to keep providing employment to the families in our community. And that's what they want from the business. And so for me, that's the starting question. We've got to understand why this business exists, what it is to achieve before we can do the competitive advantage. Mm. Yeah, I mean... I- You'll, I know you've seen my sort of strategy triangle, as I put it in my talk, and it starts with purpose. It starts with why you exist. So I completely agree with you. It's number one. You've got to figure out what your purpose is first to run a sustainable business. But I think, just going back to what you were saying, I think whether you're a small business, whether you're a PE-backed business, uh, whether you want to set up a chain of, of coffee shops that dominate a whole industry, you still want to have... You still need to have a way of differentiating yourself from the competition, which is what strategy does for you. So, and everything else will flow from that. So once you've got your purpose figured out and then you figure out, well, what do I want to do? You've got to look at the competition and say, well, what are they doing and how are they doing it? Because if I come in and try and do something very similar, the chances are somebody else is going to be doing it for a lot longer than you. Or if it's different, whether it's price different, operationally different, customer different, product different, you know, I think we've got to say, where's our point of difference here? And it can be lots of things. You know, we can be the person opening the corner shop who's just brilliant at customer service, create incredible relationships with people. But we've also got to, and this is the key thing about strategy in my strategy triangle, we have got to be good at everything and then exceptional at our point of difference i agree with you we've got to be able to compete but i think you're telling me here about how to compete not strategy so let's go back to what do you mean by purpose what do i mean by purpose yeah uh what i mean by purpose is why you exist your raison d'etre your reason for being give me an example Disney creating happiness at the heart of what they do. Uh, It could be, I guess, if you're opening a coffee shop, purpose could be about high quality coffee delivered in an extraordinary way. Okay, that's not what I meant. With my shareholder meeting, I want to know what are the objectives 
of the shareholders of the business? Do they want maximum growth, maximum value? Do they want to get into a, uh, a point where the business can be sold? Do they want to remain independent? Do they want cash flow? Or maybe we've got a B Corp type business, which is really focused on sustainability and providing for its communities. These sorts of objectives, which are separate to purpose, these are what we will achieve with a good strategy. So by competing well, which I agree we've got to do, we'll achieve these objectives. So we've got to be clear on those objectives. Yeah, no, I agree. The objectives are vital. I guess it's chicken and egg. And I would start with where you're going to be different and then what your objectives to get there. So if you haven't decided that the product is going to be everything in your business, you're a Tesla, you're a Dyson, it's all about the product then you know that you're going to have to put a huge amount of money into R&D, that you're going to have to, like uh, Dyson have got a relationship with Warwick Business School to recruit people through there to get high quality engineers to come into their business. So your objectives would follow your point of difference. It's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, but it's, it's just not the case, is it? It's simply not the case. So a private equity company wants quick growth, maximize the value for the business and readiness for sale. That doesn't follow from what the business does. Uh, if that business was under family ownership and they want independence and stability of employment for the companies in their community, completely different objectives for that company, neither of which follow from the competitive position of the company. That's what I'm trying to get to. We need to understand what the company is going to achieve, what the shareholders want the company to achieve. Yeah, I don't see why that doesn't follow from a strategy, though. Stick with your coffee example. We've got some killer competitive advantage, mm -hmm. right? Maybe it's incredible tasting coffee that nobody else has got. So uh, a unique product. Yeah. So what then determines whether I end up with a single brilliant coffee shop or a coffee brand that is present around the world with thousands of outlets? That's your ambition and your vision. So it's, it's a lot more than purpose. Well, there are four key parts to building a business that set the platform, in my view. One is have a purpose. Why do you get up in the morning? Why are you doing what you're doing? The second one is, what do you want to do with it? Where's your vision? And you need a set of values to start creating a culture around it. And you need a strategy to start saying how you're different. So I believe you do need those four to create the platform for a business to know what it's going to do, where it's going to go, how to set its objectives, how to engage its people, how to get customers, et cetera, et cetera, whether they need finance, whether they need backing. Right. So it's a lot more than purpose. And amongst them are the ultimate objectives of the business, what it needs to achieve for its shareholders. And the only way we know that is by asking the shareholders. And those things, yes, they get described in amongst the vision, for example. But so many times I've seen a strategy formed and then get rejected by the shareholders because although it was a beautiful strategy and it played on a great differentiation, good competitive advantage, it was really going to take the business somewhere. It wasn't going to meet the objectives of the shareholders, what they want from the business. So it had to be done again. Yeah. This is an essential part of, of strategy. This is what we're trying to achieve. Absolutely. And I think this is the, it, it, 
I've got a book on my shelf uh, called Exploring Corporate Strategy. And it, it, right at the beginning of it, it says, let's start with terminology. Okay. I remember with one business saying, we're going to look at the vision, then we're going to look at the values, then we're going to set the strategic objectives for the year. And then the CEO stood up in the room and he said, this is great, but we're not going to use those titles. So I said, well, all right, what, what titles do you want to use? He said, where are we going? How are we going to get there? And how we behave? It's interesting, isn't it? So I, th- I think what I'm saying is we're probably talking the same things, Ben, but we're put, applying slightly different titles to them. Yes, okay. But part of my point is the leadership team, that the MD don't get to decide what the business is intended to achieve. It's a shareholder question. Yeah, yeah. And yes, if all the shareholders happen to sit on that leadership team, we can answer it there and then. Yeah. But a large amount of the time, we need to step back and have that separate meeting. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I agree. You do you do need to do that. You do need that you do need the relationship between obviously the management team, the executive group and the shareholders. And and sometimes the shareholders, you know, you, you you'll have seen in some organizations the shareholders have put some money in and they want their money out times whatever over a period of time. But the people who really set the strategy are the executive team and the very clever CEO who they bought into. Right. But they need to know that the objective is to get the money out at that point. Absolutely. There has to be the clarity and the and 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 the and the joint thinking at that point. Completely agree. All right. So what have we got so far? We've got that strategy is about the thing to be achieved. I'm using very <laughs> ambiguous language now. Thanks to you, Ian. The strategy, the strategy is about what we need to achieve and the competitive advantage with which it will be achieved. Sounds great. Is that everything? Well, it depends, doesn't it? It depends on how far down you want to, to take this. Because I think, you know, to me, once you've got those two things in place, you could continue to use the word strategy in terms of, you know, strategic engagement. Um uh, I, I always say, so here's another example of why why the two things we've just talked about are so important. Um, the kind of getting your objectives right, getting your strategy, your point of difference right. Because once a year, most organizations will go away and have an away day or a series of away days and figure out what they're going to do the following year. And that might be a one-year rolling plan or then they're going out for three years and they're filling in the next year, whatever it is. And so they go away and they sit down on their away day and they go, right, what are we going to do? Now, they need a framework to determine how they decide what to do. And there's going to be a lot feeding into that, like external environmental analysis and SWOTs and all sorts of stuff feeding into that. But they're also going to need to to use a framework, the framework we've just talked about. And from that, they can start to say, so they've got their vision, they've got their strategy, they've got their values, and then they've got their key objectives, what they want to see, what the shareholders want from this business. Then they can sit down. And only then, I think, if they haven't got those pieces in place, it becomes really hard. Then they can sit down and say, what are we going to do next year? And then they can sit down and say, well, where should we put our money, our hard-earned cash next year? Because this is our point of difference. These are our big objectives. This is the timeline we're working for with investors and so on. And so that would be a strategic decision to come up with those, what I would term strategic priorities. Hey, Ian, finally, I agree. This is what strategy is. It's those big objectives, what the organization is here to achieve, agreed with the shareholders, described in in vision and the values that tell us how we're going to behave to get there. And it's clarity about what's our point of difference. 
how are we going to compete? How are we going to be successful in our marketplace? That strategy. And then once we've got those things, then we can form the plan, let's say, for the coming year. And it's often called strategy as well, but that's not really the strategy. That's planning. Yeah, I agree. So we have strategy and we have planning and we can see the difference between the two of them. At risk of reopening the can of worms, there's one more thing to mention, I think, about strategy and that's scope. And what I mean is so far we've described how the strategy will tell us what we will do to be successful and to reach our objectives. A good strategy also tells us what we won't do, what's out of scope. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, what what are the things that are yeah. off the table? Yeah. And it's useful to have that in there as well. Now, you're about <laughs> to tell me that, you know, obviously, Ben, we already know the answer to that because we've got no, a vision no, for the organisation, right? I know you were going there. <laughs> but for me, uh, a good strategy says the things we won't do as well as the things we will do. Well, Michael Porter, one of his famous quotes was, the essence of strategy is choosing what, what not to do. Uh, and therefore, one of the things he's saying, which is building to, into what you're saying, is, um, and you saw it when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, you know, he walked into Apple a better person than the jobs that had been sacked by Apple from all his time in Pixar and Next. And he cut so many product lines in Apple and he refocused them and said, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. That doesn't fit with what Apple's about. And so I think it's, it's vital what you're saying, which is be very clear what you do and what you don't do. Well, strikes me that the way we've described strategy so far is is pretty classical mm -hmm. i think you mentioned swot analysis yeah and if we're doing swats we can do pestles and we can do all sorts of other analyses this is kind of quite a uh, a classical way of of doing strategy i think it makes great sense mm. for big established companies for mm. established markets uh, as well but perhaps doesn't make so much sense always for a startup business, uh, which is still feeling its way a little bit. So do you have some other ways of looking at, at strategy? Well, I, th I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, when when a startup business starts, you know, I guess that I, I've seen and, and you'll have seen a number of ways of startup business kicking off. You know, somebody comes out of a big corporate, they're fed up of being in a big corporate, they've got a great idea, they, they, they want to pursue that. They sit down in a room with a couple of buddies who have also been there or they know well, and they say, look, we've got a great idea. Let's pursue it. And for the first year or so, they sell, they establish relationships. They they just get on and they try and make it work and they do it from their living room. And they don't sit down and go, crikey, what about strategy? You know, they haven't got time for that. They just want to sell and create relationships. Well, the important thing for them is to prove their idea. Do we have a real idea? Does it work? Can we sell it? Yeah. Can we reproduce it? Can we do it again and again? Because you've got to have a yeah. viable idea before exactly. you go anywhere. Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, probably a lot of whatever you're doing, whatever you're selling, um, starts pretty much probably with something like that. But what you've probably not not realized that you're doing is because your idea you thought was great whatever that idea is you probably thought it's a good idea because it's slightly different from some of the other ideas you've seen or you've got a better way of delivering it to people that's cheaper or more effective or it's got an ingredient that no one else has got so without using the word strategy 
or some of the terms that we've just discussed, they're in there somewhere. You know, the most successful business, when you take them apart, they might not have used these frameworks, but they they actually are within their business, within their thinking. I agree. Strategies can emerge as well. They can be emergent. And, you know, and the great example is that young business that has proved its point and then is going further with that. And it's beginning to notice what's working, what's working for them and what is it that's propelling them forward. And, you know, and it takes me to one of my, I guess, one of my favourite strategy tools and ideas, which is a Jim Collins yeah. idea, the flywheel. And the flywheel, for those of our audience that haven't read Good to Great, if you haven't read it, good book. Flywheel is the set of key repeatable activities that take a company forward, that reinforce and complement each other. And if repeated, they build momentum. And I think this is a great strategic tool that very often makes sense to a company and its leaders when they're in that Mm. sort of emergence phase. Also makes great sense to all of the people in the business because it's about what are the things mm. that we do that take us forward that make us convincing and it's a lovely um it's a lovely model isn't it the idea of the flywheel that if one of the elements isn't working so if you score i'm sure you're going to tell us a bit more about the flywheel but um if one of the elements of the flywheel isn't working the whole flywheel slows down And that's a really nice image in our heads, I have, being a visual person of, you know, you get a bit of grit in this part of the flywheel and the flywheel starts going slower. Yeah, that's exactly right, Ian. And the flywheel is the things that we need to consistently do. And a great question is, where is the brake on our flywheel right now? Yeah, and if if we loosen off those brakes, we go faster. I do flywheels with most companies I work for, but let's let's pick a, a Jim Collins uh, example here. Giro, the sports mm-hmm. helmets and sportswear brand. So, so their flywheel is invent great products, get elite athletes to use them, inspire weekend warriors, as they call them, attract mainstream customers, build brand power, set high prices and channel profits into R&D, and then we're back to invent great products. So if they do all of those things in, mm. in sequence, then they are forever inventing more great products and getting more elite athletes and more weekend warriors and then more of the mass market and more profits and more R&D, and, and there we go again. This is their flywheel. Nice and easy to understand, I think, for anyone in that business, even for the, you know, and one of the things I like about them, it even sounds good to the customer, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very, goes back to the terminology piece, you know, nice and simple. Everyone gets what a flywheel is. Everyone gets that if you, if you stop it in this point, it, it start the whole thing starts to stop. But equally, if you start to, um, if you start to get momentum in that flywheel, uh, there's no end to the energy you can put into it and, 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 and the speed at which it can start to spin. Mm, yeah, so it's, it's one of my favourite strategy tools. I know we're not here to talk about tools today, but I kind of wanted to get us on to how do we know we've got a good strategy? And one of the ways to do that, I think, is you know, if we come at strategy the other way, well, can we sit down and draw mm. our flywheel? Mm. It's kind of a good test of strategy, whether the flywheel exists, it's visible. Yeah, yeah. 
I agree. I think it's something our listeners could do, work out their own flywheel for their own businesses. Um, you can Google flywheel, you can get in touch with us, you can ask us for examples, and it'll take a while to create it. You'll make a few mistakes, but you'll get there in the end. And once you've created a flywheel, it's really useful to you because then you realize these are the things that are really important. One leads to the other. As Jim Collins says, it's not as simple as grabbing your objectives and putting them on a wheel. This is far deeper than that, but so useful. Any other thoughts, Ian, about how we know whether we have a good strategy? Uh, Well, I suppose the ultimate test is, are we successful? I mean, you know, running a business is a recipe, isn't it? You know, there's so many elements to running a business that you have to get right as a leader. And we're talking about so many of them on this podcast. Strategy is one of those elements. If you've got a good strategy, the other thing about it, of course, is does it go through your business? You know, is it something people get? Do your frontline staff get it? Have you engaged your people in it? Are your objectives um, and targets through the business linked to it? Have you got uh, great terminology that people really understand about it? But then there's all the other stuff was, you know, we've talked about to death in 2020 about, you know, the cultural aspects of running a business too. And you have to get all that right. You, you said, first of all, does it does it work? And it sounds a bit glib, but I mean, it's actually one of the essential tests for a strategy. And, you know, strategies aren't static and we need to be constantly reviewing and adjusting uh, and asking, is it working and do we need to shift And you've described there a bunch of the other conditions for success or failure of a strategy. Is it well communicated in the business? Is it understandable? Mm, mm. So on. But, you know, the end of that strategic process, many companies think of it as a process. They'll go off site. They're going to dream it up. They're going to work through it. They're going to write it down. Can you look at a strategy prior to communicating it and implementing it can you look at a strategy at that point and know whether it's good or bad Mm. what would you look for um i think you've got a uh, it's complicated answer i think to your question hence my pause Uh, i think you've got to look at inputs as well as outputs so you've got to say what did you consider i've been on you know too many away days where we do a swat or a pestle or an ANSOF or a BCG or whatever the matrixes we're using. And no one's got the the, the knowledge to, to fill in the, the boxes. And therefore we've not done enough external mm. uh, analysis of what's going on in the market. Now, that might be as simple as walking down the high street, or it might be much more complicated than that in a bigger business. Um, so I think one of the things is you've got to you've got to have some tools, some frameworks, and they could be simple versions of what we're talking about, or you know, more complicated tools and things you might use. But you've got to have something, some sort of structure, some sort of structure to do it. And then you've got to have some input from the external factors because strategy isn't in isolation, as we said. You don't just sit there in a vacuum and go, "What's my strategy?" It's in relation to something. It's in relation to the economy, the wider world, the competition, the customers. So. It's a relationship model, if you like, in that sense. So you've got to understand some other factors before you can create it. Then you need some sort of structure in which to to cut to put it together. Um, and I think then you've got to agree on it. You know, uh, uh, as you know from this sort of clarity and alignment, a top team. If you've got a top team and you've had some really challenging away days where you've discussed it, you've debated it, you've 
said, is this right? Should it be more like that? And then you've honed it a bit and put it together. If it's, if it's, done, if it's done in half an hour on the beginning of an away day, it's probably not going to be very good. You know, these things take some time to evolve and create. And, and then I suppose, you know, your test is, is, is rolling it out to the business, to your, to your managers, to your heads of department, to your people, and then, and then really making it work in the market. Um, but I suppose you don't, you don't really want to execute a bad strategy, as somebody once said to me. You know, the worst thing you can do is uh, execute really well a bad strategy. So you want to you make sure you've got a good strategy mm. and you execute it really well. Um, so I think, there's a lot, I think it's a complicated recipe. Uh, I'd certainly look for groupthink. That, you know, that was one of, the, mm. one of the things you mentioned there. Has this strategy been formed within the bubble of awareness of the people forming it and yeah. how big is that bubble? Do we need to do something to pop it? So is there the risk that the strategy is the product of the group think of the company? Mm. Is it believing its own hype? That's one that I think everyone needs to be vigilant about. But yeah, one of the errors I see quite often is, mm. is the thinking is too small. And a good, a good antidote to that is and one that I find really easy to remember, Sun Tzu and the Art of War. The Art of War, what this tells us is that a good general to win his or her campaign will make sure before they start the campaign, they'll make sure they've got a good political strategy. Do I have the alliances that I need to be successful? They've got a good economic strategy. Can I fund and resource this campaign from start to finish. Uh, and they've got a mm. good technical strategy as well. In in the case of battle and war, you know, do we have the technology and the fighting yeah. skills to be successful here? And I think that's a good it's a good test of of strategy as well. Do we have the right alliances? If we think of consulting companies, consulting companies often work with the products and services of of others so who are they aligned with are they aligned with the most powerful uh, and the up and coming but also our coffee shop who mm. is our supplier mm. of coffee beans who are the alliances we need economic i see this one you know if we started with that shareholder question it's quite often answered for us but how often do you see a company that's not thinking hard enough about how to be funded and be able to afford what we want to achieve or making the mistake that they're only thinking of running the business mm. out of revenues when actually there's many more options available to them, even without giving up shareholding mm. if they're trying to remain completely independent. So does it take into account the economic and then technical? This is maybe the thing that comes most obviously from looking at a competitor analysis. How are we going to compete? What's our, what's our edge? If my objective for my coffee shop is to take over the world, then I'm going to want really good funding. I'm going to want great technical ability, perhaps around franchising. So, so I think the art of war, that's a nice little test that can be done. Do we have a good political strategy, the right alliances, economic strategy? Are we going to be able to afford mm. this from start to finish? Uh, and technical strategy do we have the product and service and the ability to deliver it yeah no a good a good run through there of of, of uh, exactly what to think about and um uh, i was just going to ask uh, was it sun tzu who came up with a pestle analysis <laughs> but um i know it wasn't um but uh he was um he was obviously there before 
Francis Aguilar was. Yeah, you're, you're right. Some of these tools do uh, do similar things. Yeah. And they overlap a lot, don't they? We'd better wrap it up, Ian. Do you have a, a favourite strategy tool or device or question or thinking point that you want to leave us with? Uh, I don't want to overcomplicate this, really. I, I think if you're running a business, you are going to get bitten on the behind at some point if you haven't got the basics in place. And these, you know, these sound like more than basics in a way that what we're talking about today. Um, But to me, they're not. They're a platform for building a sustainable business, the things we're covering today. And you do need to figure out why you're doing it, what your passion is, what your purpose is. You do need to figure out where you want to go with this business, your vision. You do need to figure out how you differentiated and all the things we've discussed about objectives and goals and so on behind that and shareholder. And you do need to figure out how you're going to behave as an organization. And for me, those are the key things you've got to get in place before you can actually be sustainable over a reasonable period of time. But the thing that you mentioned a minute ago was also vitally important that these things aren't static. These things need to be reviewed regularly. And that's where, you know, engaging your leadership team in having these deeper conversations about your business and where it's going is vitally important for a business. I completely agree. So what you're saying there is before we do strategy, you're going to ask, okay, have we got a vision? Have we got a mission? Have we got a purpose? Have we got values? And in fact, let's put those up on the wall in the room, in the space where we're doing strategy because it has to be formed in in that context and the the idea the question that i will mention kind of comes at the comes at the other end so it's quite neat really a good test is and this is not my idea this comes from a a harvard business review article can you say what your strategy is in a hundred words yeah yeah great it's by david collis who is a professor of strategy at, at harvard business school and what david says is we should be able to summarize our strategy in, in a statement of 100 words, and that should wrap up the objective, uh, the scope, and the advantage. All those things we've been talking about happily in 100 words. And I think this is a lovely test, not just for the key leader, but every single leader in the business. Have we got it to the point where we can articulate a strategy in 100 words and get the message across? Love it. Good. Well, on that note, Let's wrap it up. Thanks for listening. We appreciate each one of you. We'll be here again in two weeks' time. We're looking forward to it. We'd love it if you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question or a suggestion, get in touch. Ben at benwales.com or ian at ianwindle.com. Take care. See you in two weeks' time.